Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Hi, welcome to New Life. Uh, If you're watching us on Facebook right now, welcome from Facebook to New Life as well. Um, My name is Pastor Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. If you're here for the first time with us today, we're so excited that you decided to come out and join us. New Life was created for you. Um, We thought about you as we prayed for you this morning, as we prepared food for you. We're just excited that you're here to join us. We're hoping that you're having a great time. Our lead pastor, Pastor Chris, who does the majority of the preaching here at New Life, is not with us today because he, along with Pastor Barry, our executive pastor, and 17 other people from New Life, are currently on the other side of the world in Cambodia, where I guess it's like, I don't know, 11.49 at night maybe there. I think it's like almost a 12-hour difference, almost exactly. Um, They left on Monday and arrived there without any of their luggage and uh, and got their luggage, I don't know, about 24 hours ago or so, so they now have their clothing. God has been doing some amazing things in Cambodia through that missions team in the orphanages and with some of the children in the schools that Southeast Asia Prayer Center is currently at work in. I'm not gonna share that with you because I know that's something that Pastor Chris will wanna find a way to share with you next week, even though Pastor Brad is preaching next week, I'm sure that Pastor Chris will find a way to share with you what happened in Cambodia um, as he's dealing with jet lag back next weekend. Um, We're at the end of a series. This is the last message in a four-part series called Divine Direction, and we've been talking about wise living and wise decision-making. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've learned a few things. One is that wisdom is more valuable than anything else that we can get here on earth. It's more valuable than gold, It's more valuable than silver, precious stones. The Bible tells us that if we're going to pursue one thing after our relationship with Jesus, the most important thing that we can pursue is wisdom and adding it to our lives. At the very beginning of this series, Pastor Chris started off by having us ask a question before every decision we make. Is this the wise thing to do? When we wake up in the morning, is this the wise thing to do? Usually, yes, we should wake up. We get dressed, is this the wise thing to wear? When we go to post something on social media, is this the wise thing to do? When we make plans for the weekend, is this the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? I hope that has been reshaping your life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about continuing that question and that conversation moving forward. Today, what we're going to find as we close the series is that wisdom is easy to find. In fact, that's our take-home point today. Our take-home point is the one point that I'm going to seek to make and take home with us in the coming week and live out. And it's that wisdom is easy to find. Now, if you had told me that whenever I was a teenager, I might not have believed you because I was not an overly wise youth. I don't know if any of you grew up not wise as a teenager You run into a couple of people, right, who seem just really wise, like they're 14 going on 40, Right? Like they're just make really good decisions. My wife was one of those individuals. My wife was the type of person who never rebelled and liked to follow rules and liked to be home on time and liked to be good. She was wise beyond her years. I was not one of those individuals. I struggled with wisdom. I wanted to be wise and I wanted to make good decisions. I genuinely didn't want to make bad decisions and I never got in like a ton of trouble, but. I oftentimes struggled with knowing what the right decision was to make. What what direction should I go? 
And one of those cases at the end of middle school, early high school, I was really impressionable. I didn't have a lot of friends, and those friends that I had weren't always great. But I was really emotional, and so I made a lot of decisions based off of emotions and trying to impress people. And so at 15 years old, our friend Alex was turning 16. Now, Alex uh, was the first kid really in our whole graduating class to turn 16, and so he was one of the first people in our whole graduating class to get his license. And his Isuzu pickup truck, two-door, three-seater, meant freedom for me and my friends because now our parents didn't have to drive us places. Soon Alex was going to be able to get us. And so for his 16th birthday party in early September on a Friday night, we decided to get together and have a bonfire. Now, you're going to see a picture up on the screen of early that night, these five characters, these five characters. This guy right in front is Joe wearing them jorts and this blue shirt. We called him Spig because his last name was Spig Nessie with that creepy, crusty mustache he got on his, on his face there. The guy behind him, he looks sad, is my friend Robert Martin. We call him Marty. Stahl is in the middle. His name was John Mostolsky. We called him Stahl. He was the troublemaker of the group. Alex Meter is in the red. He was turning 16 tonight, and that was his house. And then yours truly, rocking out them Janko jeans, K-Swiss shoes, and a dragon t-shirt. Nothing like a dragon t-shirt to tell the girls you're single, huh? Let me tell you, at 15 years old, I, how, what year was that? I don't know. It was like 2002. That was not cool. It just wasn't. Nobody thought dragon t-shirts were cool. I did though. So I wore one, but this night, and it was literally this exact night, we had taken that picture early on and I left it on my Facebook page since I got a Facebook in early, my first couple years of college. Um, we got together for Alex's birthday. Now, when you get five kids together who are all 15 going on 16, they naturally make dumb decisions. In fact, throughout the years, we would go to Alex's house and we would do dumb things. So we would go to Alex's house and he lived on this little road called Pine Run out in the middle of New Swickley Township. And what we would do is we'd make my friend Tom, who wasn't with us that night, uh, Tom would come. Oh, Tom. We'd make Tom walk with a walker that we found in Alex's garage at night beside the road. And then as lights would come up behind him from cars that would illuminate him, one of us would run out of the shadows and bust him over the back with a board or a a stick of some sort. And then Tom would go sprawling out across the ground as though we had hurt him really bad. And we would bolt off and hide in in the weeds or in the woods. And then the car would like come to a screeching halt and like, Wondering if this was somebody setting up trying to rob them, wondering if they should get out of the car and check out this poor person who was with a walker who was just cracked to the board in the back and he's laying on the ground now. One time we got our hands on a full gorilla suit, not just the mask, the full suit, and we tried to convince people there was some sort of a Sasquatch or man beast wandering around New Swickley. We would wait until night and then we would creep out of the weeds right along the side of the road and like bolt from one side of the road back and forth as the headlights were on us. So we were typical for doing kind of stupid things in the middle of the night and knew Swickley at Alex's house. Well, this night was no exception. Except this night, his next door neighbor, which is actually his house as well, had these huge pine trees. And underneath those pine trees, the pine trees had just dropped all these pine cones. And we're not talking about the type of pine cones that my mom likes to decorate our house with. We're talking about like sap-logged, sticky, stuck-together, heavy pine cones, right? The big ones. And so we went and we gathered a bunch of these pine cones up. And now listen, if you have never made a stupid decision when with your friends, you can judge me for my decisions, which might be like two of you in the room, but I'm guessing the vast majority of you have also made a stupid decision before with your friends. Anyway, so me and my friends gathered these pine cones and we went out and we hid beside the road in the weeds and we thought, you know what would be really funny? 
if we lobbed pine cones out of the weeds at cars as they drove by. That would be hilarious. So we decided to do it. Now, I had an opportunity to make a wise decision. That wise decision would have been to return to the house, go back to the bonfire, have no part in this. But I was not a wise kid, so I did not make that decision. Instead, we hid in the weeds and we lobbed pine cones. And I remember that night when the first one hit a windshield. Because we had missed like almost every time because we couldn't get the timing down. But one time we got the timing down perfect and it hit the windshield of a car. Brakes slammed on and we ran and we got into the woods with this dilapidated teepee that we had built in the woods when we were younger and we hid all inside. Oh, oh my gosh, this is so funny. That was crazy. He's going to come after. Oh, man. And the car left so excited. Now, another opportunity for a wise decision would have been we had our fun. Woo, it was great. But when you pump 15-year-olds full of adrenaline who are already stupid and doing something stupid, they don't make good decisions. So instead of making a good decision, we went back to the pine trees and filled our shirts with more ammo. And then we headed back down to the weeds and unloaded. And slowly but surely, this night moved from lobbing a pine cone out onto the road to blatantly standing beside the road, unhidden and rocketing pine cones off the side of cars as they drove past us. In fact, we had been out for so long that we hit some cars on this direction, and then we hit them on their way home later that night. We had thrown so many pine cones that they were covering the road to such an extent that when people would actually drive past us without us throwing a pine cone, they'd have to hit their brakes because it was like they were going across rumble strips, it sounded like, because of all the pine cones that had landed on the road. Now, at one point, my friend Alex and Robert, Marty, Marty and Alex made a good decision, and they made a wise choice. They had thrown very few pine cones. They were the most nervous about it. Me, Joe, John, we were dumber. And so they decided to head back to the house and play guitar. So they left. Me, John, and Joe, another opportunity to make a wise decision, made a dumb one, an unwise decision, and instead we decided to throw our last couple pieces of ammo. Now, when cars came from the left-hand side, you could not see them because there was a big shrub in the way and the bankment. So when they would come from the left, you had to judge where they were and judge your throw based off of just the light from their headlights that you could see. And I had prided myself in the fact that I had gotten pretty stinking accurate without even being able to see the car. So as one car came past, right at the end of the night, a few pine cones left, I threw it out and wham, right off the side of a red Ford Ranger. His brakes went on, we hit the ground, and that's when I noticed something. This was not the first time I had hit this truck. This was not the second time I had hit this truck. This was the third time I had hit this pickup truck throughout the night. Something I didn't notice because I didn't know was that this pickup truck was owned by the chief of the fire department. And the chief of the fire department had friends who were police officers. And following closely behind his red pickup truck was a police cruiser. They hit on their brakes. We noticed the police car and we bolted. Running through the field back to my friend Alex's house, the spotlight went across the field and we hit the ground as quickly as possible to hide from the police. Whew. We didn't want to get caught. Laying there, slowly breathing, hoping we weren't seen. The spotlight goes out. We hear a conversation. No one calls out to us. Car doors slam, car engines start, and both vehicles, truck and cop car, pull away. Wow, can you believe it? After the night we've had, we are in the clear. We're going to get back to the house. So we get up and we start running, sprinting as fast as we can. We've learned our lesson. We're done for the night. Well, maybe we hadn't have learned our lesson, but we were running back to the house. To our horror, not a couple of feet away from the edge of the high grass of the field to Alex's yard, did the police car pull into Alex's driveway. 
we hit the ground hoping that our two friends who had gone back to play guitar could play dumb enough that they would bluff for us. But the police officer was an adult, as it turned out, so he was smarter than us, so he decided to ask for Alex's parents. So Alex's dad woke up in the middle of the night, and soon thereafter, we heard, called out from the porch, Mark, John, Joe. My friend John, the mischievous one, says, I think we should run. I said, they know our names. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, Alex's dad knows our parents. They have our phone numbers on their fridge, which is when you still kept phone numbers on fridges, by the way, because there weren't cell phones to keep everything in. We're not getting away from this. And so with heads hung low, we walked out of the field. And that night, I received my first and my final criminal charge as I got charged with criminal mischief for throwing pine cones at cars. My parents were woken up in the middle of the night from a call from a police officer where he had to assure them that I was not hurt but just in trouble. Could I... Could they come pick me up? My parents came out in the middle of the night. I spent most of that first nine weeks of school grounded. Now, we can look at my story and know that I was stupid and that I had made some unwise decisions. But my unwise decisions didn't start with throwing a pine cone at a red pickup truck for the third time that evening. My unwise decisions started well before that. See, the thing about making unwise decisions is oftentimes the first bad decision that we make the one where we didn't pay attention to wisdom, the one where we knew we were doing something wrong, doesn't seem that wrong. It seems okay. And then hours, days, weeks, months, years later, we find ourselves in a situation we could not possibly imagine. I would not have just started doing this. If you had asked me, do you want to go stand beside the road and rocket pine cones against a red pickup truck and get in trouble with the police, I would have told you, no, that sounds like a bad idea tonight. Let's do something else. But that wasn't how the unwise decision started. And I know we can look at this example and you can see clear ways where I could have made a better decision. But I didn't make that decision. And I know it's easy to see what would, been, what would have been wise in the situation, but each of us face situations every single day that are far more challenging, I think, than that. Situations where we're just not sure what the right course of action is. We're not sure what the wise decision would be. What I found is that wisdom, despite the fact that sometimes we think or we believe that it's elusive or hiding, is not actually hard to find. But I've been challenged with some of those questions recently because a little over two months ago, I became a father for the first time. So a little over two months ago, Brooklyn Elise came into the world, and we have a picture of her. Oh, look at her. She's like a little bear cub. Daddy's little bear cub. Oh, man, I gobbled that girl up. She's so cute. The other day, I made a really unwise decision. We were getting ready to give her a bath. So I was getting her undressed, and I brought her into the bathroom, and I'm holding her. I'm like, oh, you don't pee on Daddy. You don't pee on daddy. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? And I, I held her over top of my wife. Isn't it funny if she peed on mom? And then she peed on mom. My wife literally looked up as she started peeing on my wife. That's a horrible thing, but it was so funny. I had to bathe her by myself that night. I was, I was a little, I was in trouble, but it was very funny at the moment. Anyway, that was an unwise decision. Every day I'm being faced with difficult decisions regarding being a father. It's like waking up to a pop quiz every day and you're not sure when you're going to get it or what the subject's going to be, but there's going to be a quiz today. And like in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. when Brooklyn has been crying for several hours and I am in desperate need of sleep before a day of work and she finally falls asleep in my arm 
And then what she does every time is poops. And she poops. And now I'm forced with a, faced with a decision. Do I lay my daughter down in her own poop and let her sleep and grab the last few hours of precious rest that I'm going to get tonight? Or do I run the risk of waking her up by changing her diaper and getting no sleep at all? Which one makes me a worse father? Because one, I'm not going to have any rest tomorrow to be a good dad. And the other one, I'm literally laying my daughter down in her own poop. Hmm. Or whenever she's crying and I just want to stop crying. Is it okay? I want to lay her down just to cry it out. Learn how to self-soothe. I don't know what any of that stuff means. But I lay her down. How long is okay for me to lay her down? Two minutes? Five minutes? Fifteen minutes? How long till I have to pick her back up? And it doesn't help with the fact that this is a modern era, so you can find articles on anything. And every article about your child in the first two months of their life basically says if you don't do it exactly right and exactly like we tell you, you will screw them up until they're 20. And they will never recover, probably. It's like, oh my goodness, talk about pressure to make wise decisions. Wow, every day I'm like, I don't know exactly what the right decision is, but I know I want wisdom in raising my daughter. Now, there's this guy from the Bible who also had children. His name was Solomon. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And when he wrote the book of Proverbs, it was actually because of his kids. In many cases, he was actually writing down wise sayings that he wanted to pass on to his children. Now, he was the king of Israel. He was the wisest man of the age. He was the richest man of the age. He was a great king. Well, until later in life. But at the time, he was. And so Solomon, in all of this wisdom, wanted to pass down his legacy to his children. He wanted them to know that amongst all the riches and wealth and power that he had, the most valuable thing that he possessed, he had asked to get it from God, and God had granted his wish, was wisdom. And we, as individuals today, have access to this love letter of instruction that he handed down to his children through the book of Proverbs. I mean, can you imagine if you sat down to write down all the things about your life, the things that were most important, that you wanted your kids to cherish and take with them, the things you wanted them to learn, the legacy that you wanted them to carry on, and you handed that down to them. You would be careful, preciously taking care of what you had written, making sure that everything was correct because you cared for them. We have access to that exact thing through Solomon, writing in the book of Proverbs. So today, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. I'm going to be reading New Living Translation. If not, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, how long, or how long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long... Will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the reading of your holy word, and I just pray that that would be the thing today that lingers upon our hearts and impresses upon our minds the fact that you know us and that you love us. God, may it change us from the inside out more than any words that I have. May it be your word today. In your name, amen. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public squares. She's at the city gate. She's up and down Main Street. Wisdom is a girl, by the way, at least according to Solomon, inspired by God to write this. Wisdom is female. 
she's not hard to find. She's at the city gate where all the officials are. She's along the main street shouting to the crowds where all the people are. She wants to be found. See, I thought wisdom was elusive and high and mighty, something I could not have hoped to obtain. But as it turns out, wisdom is not only easy to find, but wisdom wants to be part of our lives. Whenever I was a teenager, I thought that I would never really be wise. There was a lot of things that I was, but wisdom wasn't one of them. See, if you people, you would ask someone, will describe Mark, words like passionate, maybe committed, if I was lucky, would have come up. Certainly emotional and dramatic would have been brought up, but never wise. And one day, we had gathered together. Every Thursday, we got together with our youth pastor, a group of five or six of us guys. We'd go out to a chaise bar and lounge, and we'd sit in the back room, and we'd eat wings. And then after we ate wings together, we'd all go down to the church. And in the pastor's office, we'd sit and have a Bible study together, which usually was more of like a let's talk about our week and girls and work and what's going on with our friends. But this time, the youth pastor asked, my youth pastor Ron asked us a question. If you were to die today, what would you want to be known for? In other words, what legacy would you want to leave behind if you were to die today? And really the question was, are you working towards what you want to be known for the day that you die? Because if you're not working towards it today, you're probably not going to get there. So are you working towards what you want to be known for on the day that you die? So we went around the circle and I said, I would want people to remember me as somebody who was wise. Now, I don't remember anybody else's answer, and I don't remember the advice that Ron offered me that day, but I do know that that question in my answer triggered something inside of me that changed the course of my life. From that day on, I began pursuing wisdom and looking for wisdom. If the day that I died, I wanted people to say Mark was a wise individual, then in that case, I needed to be looking for wisdom. I began reading the book of Proverbs every day. And I read it over and over and over again. I was told that was the place to go if you wanted to gain wisdom. It was true. I wrote the book of Proverbs. I sought out wise people, people who could mentor me. I began actually listening to people and not just being bullheaded and doing what I wanted to do. And that changed my life. Soon what I found was not what I expected, but what I found was this, is that not only was wisdom easy to find, but most people either ignored her or avoided her. Most people wanted nothing to do with wisdom. They claimed that they wanted to make good decisions and they wanted to have a good life, that they wanted things to go well for them, but they were more interested in making their own mistakes or being caught up in their own emotion than they were submitting to wisdom and her voice in their lives. And so today... We're going to spend the remainder of our time together looking at three practical things that we can do this week to pursue wisdom, and maybe not even just this week, but throughout our lives. Because my experience has been that wisdom is almost always practical. And that's what I love about Proverbs, is there's things that are tangible things that I can actually begin to apply to my life when I read them today. Like the passage that says, as a dog returns to its own vomit, so does one person return to their foolishness. A fool returns to their foolishness. I read that and I was like, oh man. It's not too high and mighty. It's just saying if you make a mistake, don't go and make the same mistake again. If you do that, you're like a dog who eats its own vomit. I've seen dogs eat their vomit. It's not glamorous. 
Maybe that's not something that I want to have a part of my life. And Proverbs began changing my life. So to end today with three practical things that we can do to add wisdom to our life and to pursue wisdom this week. Number one, read your Bible and specifically read Proverbs. See, God is the creator of everything. The Bible is his word. And because he created everything, God is the author and the creator of wisdom. He knows all about her. If you want to go and learn about wisdom, the best place to go and learn about her is to go to God through God's word. He knows all about her. He's told you all about her and how to get to know her and how to make wisdom a part of your life. He's told you all of that, and most of it he's told you in the book of Proverbs. I'm challenging people this week, begin reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. I challenge you to do it for a year. If you read a chapter of Proverbs every day for a year, just make it part of your daily reading routine or your morning routine. If you don't have a re reading routine, it doesn't take long to read a chapter. Read a chapter a day for a year. You'll read through it roughly about 12 times. Write it. Write the book of Proverbs. Take an hour a day and sit down with a cheap journal or some paper and begin making a handwritten copy of the book. There's something that happens when we take what we're just reading and we begin to write it that changes something inside of our hearts because we have to take time to reflect on it. We don't just blow through it to check it off the to-do list, but we reflect on it. Writing is a meticulous process that I think something about me anyway, engaging my hands begins to engage my heart more. Write the book of Proverbs. Pray. Every time you pick up the book of Proverbs and begin to read or the Bible at all and begin to read, ask God, God, give me wisdom. But when we do that, we have to make sure our heart's in the right place. And that's because of both this promise and this warning that comes to us from the book of James that I think is incredible. But in James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, it says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Verse 5 is incredible. This is a promise from God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to give you the thing that is more precious than gold, silver, or precious stones. If someone was to tell you, if you take all of your financial treasure and you put it in this one place, we have a commitment, we promise you it will not go flat, you will have a guaranteed return on your investment that's beyond your wildest dreams, I would go home and get all of our money and we would go do that. But yet, the Bible tells us that wisdom is more valuable, is more valuable than any gold or silver or precious stones that we can get. And sometimes we don't pursue wisdom. Now the warning that goes along with this is about being all in. And this is why when we ask for wisdom, sometimes we don't receive it. Verse 6 says, but when you ask him, but... But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave on the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. We should not expect to receive a single thing from the Lord if our loyalty is divided between him and the world. When I talk about taking all of my finances and putting it in one investment that I have a guaranteed return on, that's something that I would do. 
And here God is saying, listen, I have something that's more valuable for you than all the treasure that the world could possibly possess. It's called wisdom. All that you have to do is take all your faith and get it out of the world and put it in me. But yet, oftentimes, we're unsettled, divided, blown around by waves because part of our faith and our security are in the things of this world. And we struggle to put our faith and security solely in our Creator, in our Savior, in Jesus. Wisdom is all, oh, nope, that's not what I was supposed to read. Number two, find wise people and do what they tell you to do. Find wise people and do what they tell you to do. This is about finding a mentor or people to pour into your life. I've had mentors throughout most of my life. My youth pastor, Ron, was one. Then a pastor from another church, Rich, became a mentor of mine. And then Pastor Chris, while I'm here, Pastor Barry has been a mentor of mine. Lots of people have poured into my life. But one of the reasons for that is I have not only listened to them, but I've also done what they've said. There's no better way to lose a mentor or somebody who wants to invest in your life than having them offer you advice on how to get to where you want to go and then have you ignore them and go do your own thing. We have this stubbornness in us that many of us pick up as teenagers that says, I want to make my own mistakes and go my own path and figure it out for myself. There's very few things that are dumber than that. And unfortunately, many of us carry that with us, not just when we're 16 or 17 years old, but we carry it with us well into our adult years, where we don't believe that we can take advice or listen to people who've been where we were, been where we are, and know how to get where we want to go. We'd prefer to make our own mistakes and deal with the pain on our own instead of listening to somebody else and submitting ourselves to them and their advice and their guidance in our life. Now, there will be people who don't give us good advice, and that's okay to ignore that. But when someone who loves us, has invested in us, is pouring into us, gives us good, godly advice, and we choose to ignore it, we're dooming ourselves to make the same mistakes that others have made before us. It doesn't make any sense. If you are 15 in here, you need a mentor. You need someone who's pouring into your life. If you're 22, you need a mentor more than anybody else on the planet. If you're 50, you still need a mentor. One of the greatest parts of my job right now is on Wednesday mornings, I go out to King's Restaurant. Now, King's isn't the best part of my job, but if you love King's, I don't want to offend you, so you can keep on loving King's. But I get to go out to King's, and we go to the back room, and I love this conversation that I get to have because there's these group of guys. They're all in my small group. And although I'm leading the group, I'm really learning from them. Most of the guys in the group are 60 and 70 years old. Most of them retired, and I get to sit there, and I listen to them, and I hear their stories of growing up, of being married, of going through really great times, and also going through really hard times. They're the people right now that I let speak into my life more than just about anybody else, about where I want to go and how I want to get there, about how to be a good father, about how to be a faithful and a good husband. These people are just, I can't replace them. I've had opportunities to go do things on Wednesday mornings that would further me professionally, but I've turned them down because I would much rather spend my time with this group of men who are willing to invest and pour into a 29-year-old's life who really doesn't have a clue what the heck he's doing, but oftentimes is arrogant enough to believe and think that he does. And these men spend time with me and talk with me, and they've become my friends. We need that in our lives. We need to listen to those people. And more than listen to them, when they give us good advice, we need to actually do what they tell us to do. 
There's a guy from the Bible who didn't understand this. His name was Rehoboam. He was a king of Israel. And um, his father had built some big buildings and had done some big building projects. And um, the people of Israel had built those for him. And it was a pretty heavy burden for them to carry. So a guy named Jeroboam, who was the leader of the free people of Israel, kind of, came to their king and said, hey, listen, the burdens were really heavy with your father. I would really appreciate it. Do you think you could lighten our burden? The people of Israel asking you to lighten their burden. And so uh, Rehoboam the king went to his advisors, who were his father's advisors, old men, wise men, who knew how to run the country and knew how to get Rehoboam to where he wanted to go. And they said, you should lighten their burden. They'll love you for it. They'll serve you for it. But Rehoboam, like so many young guys, didn't want to hear that. He thought maybe these guys were too old. They weren't relevant anymore. So instead, he went to his friends. And that's where we'll pick up in 1 Kings 12, 8. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked for the opinion of the young men who he had grown up with and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden, light, want a lighter burden. My finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his young advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. I'm sure you can bet that this decision did not leave Rehoboam to glory. In fact, his kingship was less than glorious. His reign was plagued with problems. The nation split as he led it. Jeroboam led men to the north. God was forgotten amongst much of it. The Israelites were unfaithful. Civil war broke out between Israel and Judah. All of this a product of a young man's inability to submit himself to the advice of those that were wiser than him. When we did not listen to the advice of those who are wiser than us and then do it when it's godly advice, we run the risk of having eternal, lifelong, big, big consequences. Wisdom is all around you in the form of people who have been where you are going and are willing to help you along the way if you are willing to listen Wisdom is all around us. When it says that wisdom is calling out to us, it's because it's in other people as well. It's all around us. Find a mentor. Find someone to pour into your life. Listen to them and do what they say. Number three, keep asking, what is the wise thing to do? When we ask what is the wise thing to do, it may not make, it, make us wise on its own, but it keeps our hearts and minds focused on living in wisdom every day. It keeps our hearts and our minds focused on living in wisdom every day. When we put wisdom all around us, when we take the book of Proverbs and memorize the scriptures, when we take it and write it on post-its and put it in our car for a commute or on our office desk or on our bathroom mirror, when we surround ourselves with wisdom every day and when we keep asking this question, what is the wise thing to do? When we wake up, what is the wise thing to do? When we get dressed, what is the wise thing to do? When we go to post on social media, what is the wise thing to do? When we leave the house, what is the wise thing to do? When we get ticked off at that guy who's driving like a maniac, which, you know, 
It could be me. Um, what is the wise thing to do? When we get ticked off that guy who's driving too slow, what is the wise thing to do? When we're about to get in a fight with our spouse, what is the wise thing to do? When we're about to discipline our children, what is the wise thing to do? When we're about to make plans for the weekend, what is the wise thing to do? When we ask ourselves that, it focuses our hearts and our minds on wisdom every day. Pastor Chris started by asking that question, and he began with Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. This is the passage, beginning of the passage that we started this series on, and it says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. When talking about wisdom, we oftentimes, when working with kids, we ask them this. When you're about to make a decision, ask yourself, is this a 15-minute or a 15-year decision? Will this decision make you happy in 15 minutes, or will it make you happy in 15 years? Now, when you ask a 14-year-old that, 15 years might as well be an eternity. So what you're really asking them is, do you want to be happy now, or do you want to be who you want to be when you grow up? Because you have the choice every day in the decisions that you make. Now, for some of us, 15 years doesn't seem all that far away, because we've seen a couple of those. And so for me, the question becomes, do I want to be happy now and eat this whole bag of tater tots? Or do I want to be happy in 15 years and not have health problems? That's the choice that I get to make every day. Because in 15 minutes, tater tots with cheese and ranch sound delicious. And it would make me very happy. But if I keep making that 15-minute decision 15 years from now, I will not be happy. So I have to make wiser decisions today. Decisions that are focused on 15 years rather than decisions that are focused on 15 minutes. So whatever question you want to ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do, or is this a 15-minute or a 15-year decision, doesn't really matter as long as it's focusing our hearts and minds on making wise decisions in everything we do every day. And one of the things that I didn't address this morning is knowing Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you never asked me part of your life, you can benefit from all of this. God has written wisdom, woven wisdom, into the fabric of reality, into his creation. Wisdom is a part of it. She cries out on the streets to believers and non-believers alike. You can be a wise person and not be a follower of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today, you can go and read the book of Proverbs And you can go and find somebody wiser than you to pour into your life and listen to them and do what they say. And then you can ask yourself at every turn, what's the wise thing to do? And you will get more wisdom and you will benefit from it. But I'm telling you today that you have an opportunity to not just benefit from wisdom, but also to get to know the creator of wisdom. The one who knit wisdom together at the beginning of time. The one who put the stars in the sky. That same God loves you. Loves you and died for you, despite all of the unwise decisions you have ever made, he loves you and has put wisdom into reality for you to benefit from. Becoming a follower of Jesus is much like wisdom. It's simple oftentimes to understand, but difficult to execute. It's simple because all that we do is we ask Jesus, come into my life, I need you to save me. That's why we call him Savior. The difficult part is, I want you to take over. That's why we call him our Lord. So if that's you today, and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to save you from sin and death, and to be your owner, to be your Lord, then I encourage you as we close in prayer today to do that. To ask Jesus to come into your life, not just to get to know wisdom, but get to know her creator as well. That brings us at last to our commitment today. Our commitment 
is very simple, but not easy. It's I will look for wisdom in all that I do this week. I will look for wisdom in all that I do this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have had to gather together, Lord. I thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is amongst us. I pray, Father, that for myself, that I can make wise decisions this week, that in everything I do, I can ask, what is the wise thing to do? God, I pray that you would lead and guide us into wisdom this week. In your name, amen.